All right, it's Chandra with the Contemporary Horsemanship Podcast, and today I want to talk about some misconceptions about negative reinforcement, natural horsemanship, and what pressure really is. So I have seen a lot of things just in the horse world, and there's a lot of misconceptions obviously just out there. I mean, anybody can post anything to social media, so it, it things can get around really fast if you don't do your homework. So I really want to go through some common misconceptions and then what is really happening like scientifically. So um, a couple of things I'm just going to start with is going over what ne- negative reinforcement is, the, the four learning quadrants, which I've talked about before in previous episodes, and we'll just kind of do a little review of that and then go through the misconceptions and really explain them. So again, um, positive reinforcement is going to be the addition of something that increases the likely of beha- likelihood of behavior in the future. So for example... If I'm training my horse and I want my horse to walk forward with me um, while leading, he's following me, I'm going to click and then reinforce that behavior. So he's going to be reinforced for that leading, that following behavior. So the click in positive reinforcement is a marker signal. So it's telling the horse what you're doing right now is what I want and food is coming shortly. So And again, I've explained that separately in a separate podcast, but that is what's happening. So you're increasing the likelihood of a behavior happening. So the same thing can happen without that marker signal, without like clicker training specifically. So if let's say I'm feeding my horses and my horse is pawing at a stall door and I don't, I'm like, oh, that's annoying, but I have things to do and I just need to be done feeding. And I, he's pawing at his door and I just throw the bucket of food in and he, stops pawing and he's eating his food. I am positively reinforcing that pawing behavior. I've added something that the horse values, so in this case the food, to the situation where the behavior was occurring. So he is more likely to paw in the future. So those are going to be good examples of positive reinforcement. Um, negative reinforcement would, is going to be the removal of a stimulus to increase the behavior. So the horse has to find something even slightly uncomfortable in order to change its behavior. There has to be an aversive there because it's the removal that reinforces the behavior, not the addition of like in positive reinforcement. That's where you get the positive and the negative. It's not positive like this is good and this is bad. It's just the removal of like in math terms. So again, through negative reinforcement, let's say I want my horse to lead just like in the other example. I instead of using the food, I would apply pressure with the lead rope. So something that the horse wants to change or wants to avoid um, would be the little pressure on the lead rope. The horse comes forward, that pressure is removed. So the removal of that pressure negatively reinforces the behavior of moving forward. So um, a good example of that in just kind of out in the horse world, in the in the natural environment, I guess, would be the horse's standing out in his pasture. It's a hot day. Um, the sun is, is going to be kind of aversive to the horse, so it's going to make him a little uncomfortable. So that's going to motivate him to move into a shady location, be that under a tree or in the shelter. So him moving out of the sun and into a shady spot is going to be reinforced negatively by the removal of the sun. Okay, then we have positive punishment, which is going to be the addition of a stimulus. So the behavior decreases when a stimulus is presented after the behavior. So again, just like we had in positive reinforcement, we have the addition of something, but in punishment, the behavior decreases. In both the reinforcements, the behavior increases. 
if that makes sense. So in positive punishment, we're adding something after the behavior and then the behavior has to decrease after that is added. So a good example of that is going to be the addition of a whip. So let's say my horse is standing still. He doesn't want to go forward. I tap him on the hindquarters with the whip. He goes forward. And then if that is working, if that contingency, that training is working, then in the future, he will not not go forward again. He'll, he'll go forward because he doesn't want the application of the whip. So it decreases that not going forward behavior. It increases that going forward behavior when you add the whip into the, into the scenario. So um, an example of that, just probably out with the horses in the pasture, would be um, a horse that is resource guarding. So let's say horse A is resource guarding a hay net. And he really wants this hay net. It's very valuable to him. Horse B comes up and he pins his ears and horse B doesn't leave. Horse B stands there. Horse A is then feeling like his resources are threatened and horse B chases after horse A and bites horse A. So horse or horse B and horse B leaves. Okay, so then if this has been positively punishing horse B, then horse B will not want to approach horse A very often because he is positively punished by horse A chasing and biting him. So there's been an addition of a stimulus, which would be him biting and chasing after the horse B has approached horse A. So then we also have negative punishment. So again, the behavior is going to have to decrease if it's working correctly. Behavior decreases with punishment, but this one has a negative sign, so something is going to be taken away. So this is a common misconception um, with like clicker training and stuff like that where a resource is being taken away. So let's say I'm working with my horse, I'm training with my horse using positive reinforcement, and I want to end this session, and then I just decide to walk away. And the horse is like, well, why why are you leaving? I'm He's being negatively punished by the removal of the food of something that the horse wants so and in the quick fix to that is to give your horse an end of session signal and reward him with a jackpot so that he is eating reinforcement while you leave but if you don't do that, if you fail to do that, then the horse could be negatively punished by you leaving. So whatever behavior that he's doing at the time of that could be negatively punished. So let's say he's just standing still, you're hanging out with him, and then you leave. He might feel anxious after the word. So next time he might, instead of stand still, he might follow you. He might chase after you in order to get that. So the standing still behavior would be negatively punished. And that's most of the time that's just... Um, we don't even notice that we're doing it, but that would be an example of that. Um, a pretty common one that we'd see a lot because we don't really see a lot of negative punishment with horses. Um, that's going to be more like um, you have a kid and your kid doesn't want to clean their room, so you take away their cell phone. That kid has been negatively punished by taking away a resource that they want. That's going to be most common with that, um, but that can happen in the horse world, and that's probably the most common example of that. So now we've gone through the four contingencies. So we've got negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement. So again, reinforcement increases a behavior, um, either with an addition of something or a subtraction of something. And then we've got punishment, so the behavior decreases with the addition of something or the subtraction of something. So hopefully that made sense if you need a little refresher. So now I'm going to go back and go through the misconceptions. So 
Uh, first one that I have is just being with your horse is pressure. So no, it's going to be certain contexts. I'm not really sure where this came from. Um, not everything you do with your horse should be pressure unless you've conditioned your horse and every time that you are around a horse or another person around is around your horse, something pressuring happens. There's always something going on that makes that horse uncomfortable. Then you could very easily make being with your horse a pressure situation, an uncomfortable situation. But that's not just a blanket statement of all horses and all people. That's not how it works. Because like I've talked about a couple episodes ago about classical conditioning, classical conditioning is happening all the time, both positively, negatively, and neutrally. And in this sense, I'm not talking about adding something or subtracting something. I'm talking more about like a positive, a good, happy um, association or a negative association like a not so great, uh, I don't really want to be here association or just neutral association. So in those terms, that's what I'm talking about, not with a positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement. So um, in the beginning, when I first got my Mustangs, um, they definitely did not like my presence and my presence was definitely aversive. So me being around them did cause pressure. And that's just because I was scary to them. Everything was scary because, you know, most of their lives, they had been out on the open. They didn't see people. Like, people are naturally scary to horses. We're predators. So just like any other predator that they would see, we we would be tr- treated and felt the same by the horse. And then once they were captured, like, I'm sure that was traumatic. So I'm sure while they were being herded in and moved in different pens like they're going to see people and people are chasing them or waving flags or people on horseback so there's a lot of things there that doesn't create a great history for them so in the beginning for sure they were definitely weary of me and my presence definitely caused pressure Um, but over time with counter conditioning and just me being there hanging out with them not bad things happening to them me feeding them food then we counter condition that and now my presence is a good thing so now when I go to them go up to them they want to come to the gate they want to see me they want me when I come up like it's it's a changeable thing so not all the time is it doing that so a, a case where that would be happening is if maybe you only saw your horse to work them so if you're using a lot of negative reinforcement and you just see your horse and you saddle him up and you just ride him around and then you put him back and you don't spend other time with him where you're not putting pressure on him where you're not making him do things then yeah your presence could definitely create pressure so you have to look at it through the horse's point of view um, this person comes around and all I do is move, run around the arena and do things, you know, that the rider wants to do and there's not really anything in it for the horse. Um, and that's going to lead me into another um, misconception is going to be like horses love their jobs. Um, I want to talk about that for just a second and then I'll go back to um, being with a horse is just pressure. So that's that's going to be a pretty common one. Um, horses can like what they do, absolutely. But are horses made to just have a job? No. Are people made to have a job? No. That's like a big false thing that we have in, in our society where it's like the only way that people or animals are valuable is if they work. Like that's just kind of crazy to me. As long as you're not doing anything bad and like 
creating harm on other people or animals. Like you should just be valuable on your own. I know that's a crazy thing for a lot of people to, to think or hear, but it makes sense to me. It's like, why, why are we only valuable if we work? Like, that's just ridiculous. Like, um, you can create value in many other ways and not to get too crazy on the human side of things, but for horses, like they're not only creating value if we ride them and work them and have them do stuff for us or make money for us. You know, they're not here just for our entertainment or our gain. So for that thing, like horses don't need a job. Like can they absolutely like a job? Sure. Can they hate a job? Yeah. (laughs) They don't need one. And giving your horse one by like, going on a trail ride or actually having a job like chasing cows or doing whatever it might be. Um, most of the time when people are saying, okay, well, your horse needs a job and then like their attitude or their training will improve is probably because they're just tired. And if they're out moving cows all day or checking fences or, you know, taking people on trail rides or doing whatever it is that you might think is a job, they're just They've spent up energy that they otherwise would have used for maybe something you didn't really like or the behaviors you didn't like. So that's kind of where that comes from. But it's gonna, it's not a, um, a, a big fix to any behavioral problem that you're having with your horses, just having them make them have a job. They're not by default going to like that. That's a very human thing putting on them. Um, and it just doesn't really make sense for horses. But anyways, going back to the pressure thing, um, when you look at it from the horse's point of view and you're only like tacking up and that could be an uncomfortable process going in the arena and doing maybe the same boring thing or having the the rider kick you or use their spurs or pull on the reins all the time it very quickly can become a thing where the horse does not enjoy it at all and you'll know that when the horse doesn't want to be caught or doesn't want to come near you doesn't want to go in the arena doesn't want to be tacked up things like that and that we can really quickly uh ignore or blame something else on or make up excuses for so but overall it just being with your horse just in general does not mean that you're there's going to be pressure involved that's not how it works things can be conditioned in either a positive way a negative way or a neutral way so um another misconception would be they can't have they can't not have pressure so pressure is happening all the time Um, regardless of what we do. And that, again, is not true. You can't have a blanket statement for there's always pressure happening all the time. So there's still those four learning quadrants that definitely are happening all the time. Things can be mixed, lines can be crossed. But just like those examples that I had earlier, different things happen in different times. There's not always pressure. There's not always, okay, the horse is hungry and so that hunger is motivating him to eat. That can happen sometimes, but it can also be oh, there's a really nice patch of grass. So when he goes over there, he is positively reinforced by eating this luscious patch of grass or stuff like that. So um, it's not always going to be pressure is motivating the horse because you have those four learning quadrants. It's, It's a combination that's happening. So it's not just pressure all the time. Um, it is the most common thing in horse training. So I can see where people think that and they just think that happens all the time with just horses in their on the pasture in the stall or whatever that's just not true just because that's how we train them most of the time that doesn't mean that it's happening all the time um all natural horsemanship is going to be negative reinforcement and some positive punishment 
if a trainer is adding in positive reinforcement, um, that can be in there too. Most of the time it's not. Sometimes like certain trainers will just add in a treat occasionally. Um, and that's about the extent of it. Um, again, like I said earlier, the negative punishment's a really tough one to do because you you really have to have something that the horse values that you take away. So really that example I said earlier is going to be the most common one is taking that and and that's going to be taking the food away or withholding the food would be another one. And that's going to be happening more with positive reinforcement clicker training. So probably not so much with natural horsemanship. Natural horsemanship is going to be mostly negative reinforcement and then some positive punishment is there. So that is not, that's not a misconception. That's just the truth. But the misconception there would be that natural horsemanship is either just natural to the horse or that these learning quadrants are not happening. These, these ways that horses learn or all mammals learn is not happening. Um, and that, or that there's even positive reinforcement going on. A, A lot of time people will say, oh, well, the horse is standing still. So he's getting a reward that's not how that works. Um, just a, that, that would be a release of pressure or a relief of from pressure. So that's not a reward that can reinforce behaviors. But again, that's working through negative reinforcement. It's not a, adding anything to the learning situation here. Um, definitely that's not going to be used as a reward or padding is not going to be reward. When like scratching becomes a reward is when the horse is very much enjoying it. And that's going to be tricky to, to reinforce behavior with. Usually it's only going to be when the horse really values the scratching. So if they're shedding out, so that's going to be usually when that's going to be most reinforcing. So probably springtime and then in their favorite like itchy place. So like most horses, it's going to be like underneath the neck, maybe on the withers, um, that kind of a thing. Like my mare really likes scratches under the belly, but it's going to be to the point where the horse is like really into it. They're probably moving their head, they're moving their upper lip kind of a thing. So that's not going to be something you're going to see very often in the natural horsemanship world. Um, you're going to see often a lot of padding and most horses do not like padding. So again, the horse decides what is reinforcing and that's not going to be reinforcing. That's usually going to be punishing because it's going to be resembling a smack and the horses don't like that. So, and most people don't like that either. Like if someone comes and pats you really hard, it's just not reinforcing people and horses don't like that. Um, and the other thing that people kind of think that they're using positive reinforcement or that they're rewarding the horse is just saying good boy. Um, that's again, not going to be reinforcing if you haven't conditioned it with a positive or a primary reinforcer. So through my training, my horses know that the click, or when I say good is kind of good is kind of like a keep going signal. So that means like, if I say good, and then in a second, I'll click and then reinforce, they know if they hear good, that soon I'll click and reinforce. So that word is being reinforced kind of down the line there. If I'm just saying good boy, and then maybe I'm pulling on the reins and having them stop and rest, they could definitely condition that word to mean, like it would mean more as a cue. So maybe when they hear like what I ended up training my mare, I would say good girl. And then I would have her stop and rest in the very beginning when I was using a lot of negative reinforcement. So all I'm doing is creating a cue with negative reinforcement. I'm not that's not rewarding her. I'm not adding something to the situation. So 
in that case, she's just learned when I say, good girl, I'm going to stop soon. So that's a pre-cue. So she's like, oh, well, I'm going to go ahead and stop. So that's all that is. So those are some misconceptions on what rewards are. You have to have something that the horse values. And most of the time, 90% of the time, it's going to be some sort of food reward. So sometimes it can be a scratch, but you've got to get to the point where the horse is really enjoying that. And that can be difficult to do and takes up a lot of time. So most of the time it is going to be food. But I do hear, back to my kind of main topic here, I do hear a lot of the time where people are like, oh, well, natural horsemanship is rewarding or it's positively reinforcing, stuff like that. And that that's not true. Um, most of the time, it's negative reinforcement with some positive punishment. So you're applying pressure, you're releasing it in order to reinforce that behavior and you want that behavior to happen more often. So that can happen with most behaviors. So leading, lunging, most riding behaviors, it's pretty much all of them. And then also you have some positive punishment there. So the addition of a whip, um, potentially hitting the horse with the end of the rope, chasing them forward with your with your body pr- um, presence and energy going forward and just chasing them just like a predator would. Um, so that all can be under that positive punishment. So a lot of time we don't know what pressure is or a lot of people don't know what pressure is because it's so common to see in the horse world where we just pull on the lead rope and the horse comes forward to lead with us. Um, We pull back on the reins and the horse stops and we just think that's just how horses are. Like we don't look at it in any other way. But what's happening under there is definitely, again, some negative and negative reinforcement and positive punishment. So anytime you're pretty much touching your horse while you're riding and training using a natural horsemanship type situation is going to be negative reinforcement. So if I'm pulling on my lead rope to go forward, I'm using negative reinforcement. Unless I'm like really, like if I snap the lead rope forward really quickly, I could be positively punishing whatever that horse is doing at that time. So again, those learning quadrants, the lines can be blurred. They can be happening kind of at the same time. So, and it's really a subtle difference too. So pretty much putting a bit in the horse's mouth is going to have some negative reinforcement because you're you're using pressure there to teach the horse to do something else. Unless you've trained it with positive reinforcement. So you've trained the bit or a tactile cue, something like that with positive reinforcement, um, then it will just be a tactile cue. It won't be pressure that escalates into, okay, well, I'm going to, if you don't do this now, I'm going to do this to you. So for example, if... I want my horse to go forward and I'm riding him. I squeeze my legs gently, nothing happens. I squeeze a little harder, nothing happens. I start to kick the horse, nothing happens. I hit him with the whip, he goes forward. So eventually, if if you do that sequence over and over and over again, the horse doesn't want to be kicked or hit with the whip. So instead of getting to that part of the sequence, he goes forward off of that light squeeze. So you have to have that to that point where the horse is uncomfortable to create that behavior. So so you're not just teaching the horse cues. You have to have that negative reinforcement in there where the horse is uncomfortable and he wants to change that behavior. So that is negative reinforcement done well when the horse does respond to those light cues. But you have to back them up with something that makes them uncomfortable because, again, by definition, you have to have an aversive there in order for the horse to change its behavior so that you remove it and that behavior is reinforced. So having the horse go forward, it's not just a communicative, like we feel the horse and horse feels me kind of thing, like horse whispery stuff. It's 
negative reinforcement. If I'm squeezing and he doesn't go, I'm going to increase until he does what I want. And that's negative reinforcement. And once we get into those higher phases there where I'm kicking and hitting the horse with the whip, that's positive punishment. So um, again, so pretty much leading, lunging, using bits, reins, spurs, legs, all that's going to go under the negative reinforcement category. On the flip side, if I'm training with mostly positive reinforcement, I can train tactile cues. So like I posted some videos with Atlas, like on social media, you can see him coming forward from the rope pressure and backward and side to side. That was all trained with the target and with positive reinforcement. So I would first kind of move the rope forward and then off of just a light cue, he doesn't go forward. He doesn't do anything. Then I bring out my target. He comes forward from the target. I click in a reward. Over time, he has that little bit of rope pressure. He feels that and he's like, oh, I remember I go forward and I touch the target and I get a reward. So that becomes a tactile cue versus negative reinforcement. And I'll probably make a whole episode on that sometime in the future because that can be kind of confusing too. But you can teach tactile cues that's not negative reinforcement necessarily. So the next misconception that I have is the horse naturally, he knows this language of natural horsemanship, pressure release, whatever, negative reinforcement can be under many names. Um, they do communicate with that because it's body language, but they do communicate with, you know, the other learning quadrants as well. So a lot of the time we see when the horses are screaming at us and at each other, and those are the behaviors that we notice. So the bucking, the biting, the kicking, the rearing, things like that, those are the behaviors that we notice, unfortunately. Unfortunately, we should see the little shift in the weight, the looking of the eye, the tightening of the muzzle, the flick of the ear, but we miss those a lot of the time. And so when we say, oh, well, horses communicate with each other only using pressure release, we've, we've pretty much only seen the horses when they're yelling at each other. So, and again, we have to look at it outside of our own human view of things. So we've put horses into domestic situations. So most of the time they're in a small pasture, they're in a stall or something similar to that. And even if they're in a big pasture, we have chosen their friends for them. So we put the horses out that we think are going to get along, or maybe they don't get along. Maybe we don't have control over that. But it's not like it is in a natural environment where they have hundreds or thousands of acres to roam around. They can pick and choose who they're, or who they're around. And so it really, and there's an abundance of resources. So that really changes up the dynamics. When we put horses in non-natural situations where we keep them in pastures and stalls and things, that's not a natural situation. We try to keep it as natural as possible, but it's not. So in those cases, we can see a lot more um, resource guarding behaviors. So you're going to see, that's where we're going to see those intense screaming behaviors where the horses are biting each other and chasing and kicking. A lot of the times it can be the horses just don't like each other. And unfortunately we put them together and we shouldn't have, but most of the time it's going to be a resource guarding behavior, be that food. So a hay net or hay or grain or a place where those things are fed, or it could be a shady spot, a shelter, water, another horse, a person, it can be a lot of things because there's a lot of resources for horses. So we got to kind of take that into account there is that we mostly see those screaming behaviors. A lot of the time though, horses want to be near each other. They 
want to come near each other and show like affiliative behaviors where they mutually groom each other or they swish the flies off of each other's faces or they just stand next to each other. And those behaviors we don't notice as much because they're not as intense. So horses definitely can be positively reinforced by being with each other and they do. So just having that comfort of being in the herd like they're supposed to going next to another horse and they mutually groom each other. So adding in that positive reinforcement. So it's not always... Horses are using pressure on each other. We just see it more often with those resource guarding behaviors or those times when horses are screaming at each other. And probably all of these misconceptions I could talk about forever, but I'll try not to so it's not super, super long. Okay, so another thing that we hear a lot with negative reinforcement is that you have to move the horse's feet in order to get his respect and be the leader or whatever. So I think I've definitely... I'm pretty sure I have at least one episode on dominance theory and how to like how to get your horse's respect I think is what it's called because that whole thing has been disproven. So that's probably the biggest worst misconception that we have out there especially in natural horsemanship circles is that you have to be the leader, you have to dominate the horse, the horse is disrespecting you. All these like abstract thoughts that we have being humans and then we're putting them on horses. Horses don't know any of those things. And there the whole study that re- this idea came from and originated from was a researcher who was stu- studying wolves and these wolves were not in a natural setting, just like I was talking about earlier. These wolves were in a zoo or it was either a zoo or like a conservation park. So it wasn't the full like scale range that they would be on. And I don't even know if it was like wolves that wanted to be together, if they were just placed together, just like with the horses. So uh, what he was seeing was those resource guarding behaviors and they were not natural, like what you'd see in the natural world. And after he had published this study, he really regretted it because it came all what came out of it were all these dominance theories that come into the dog world, into the horse world. So that has been disproven. It's still very much out there, unfortunately, but that's why I want to educate so we can kind of get rid of that. But um, moving the horse's feet has really gotten into that where you have to, like whoever moves the horse's feet last and the other one or whoever moves their horse's feet first loses and if you don't you win I I don't know where that came from if that came from the same study I'm not sure um if someone just made that up that is just ridiculous like I think we got that from like the resource guarding where the one horse would trace off the other horse and then the other horse would be near the resource that would make the most sense to me as to where that came from but that has no legitimate like weight in training you're just chasing the horse away from you that's that's pretty much it I've been down all the roads of different horsemanship trainers natural horsemanship trainers and all I ended up doing was scaring my horse and I would do every step that they had in their programs and I what one of the keys was here is I didn't have the horse that fit the program so one of the things with a lot of natural horsemanship training is it's it's really built to fit pretty laid back quiet horses, particularly quarter horses or other stock breeds, paints, possibly an Appaloosa. Um, And so that's where that comes from. And a lot of those trainers will say that, that they prefer quarter horses because of their 
gentle, calm nature. And so if we kind of chase them around, they get tired and they kind of give up and they're like, Ugh, okay, I'm done, whatever. I throw in the towel and I'll do whatever you want. I just don't want to do this work. When you have breeds like Arabians and thoroughbreds and other hotter breeds, they don't do that. You really just end up scaring them and you make things worse. So that's why those training methods don't work usually on those horses or can really scare those horses or it takes a really long time to just kind of break them down, which is very unfortunate. Um, so that kind of all goes into that. Um, you're, you're more just tiring the horse out than becoming the leader or teaching the horse respect or anything like that. And they get away with that respect thing because it's so abstract. We're like, okay, well, what is disrespect? What is not disrespect? We don't know. You know, like, what is it? How do we know what it's happening? And it's just one of those kind of gimmicks that goes around in the horse world. And it's like, well, this particular trainer knows what that is and no one else does. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. That's why I like the science. The science makes sense. It can be confusing at times, absolutely, but it makes sense and it works on all horses. It's not like, okay, well, this guy said that my horse walking into me is disrespectful or this guy said the horse walking off is disrespectful. How can you have both behaviors be disrespectful? It doesn't make sense. So with the science, it makes sense. I'm like, okay, the horse, all of the horse is trying to do is get away from something that is uncomfortable or to something that is comfortable. That's most of the time what they're doing. So if my horse is walking into me, maybe he's trying to get something that I have. Maybe he wants the food and he's coming on top of me and getting the food the only way he knows how. Or maybe he's trying to get to another horse. And then on the flip side, if the horse is leaving me, maybe I'm putting a lot of pressure on him. Maybe I'm scaring him. Maybe he just, what I'm doing with him is not very fun. And I don't have a lot of stuff to motivate the horse to participate with me. So he's just going to leave and do something else that's less pressure. So those are very different things, but a lot of trainers will mix those into the same thing and be like, that horse is being disrespectful. It's just an abstract thing that we can get rid of. And it doesn't make any sense, honestly. It, it literally does make more sense in the dog world. And it's been disproven much more in the dog world. So I really don't know why it persists in the horse world with prey animals. It's very confusing. And as you've seen with um, a lot of natural horses, like wild feral horses, um, again, you, you don't see that resource guarding a lot. You're going to see horses, you know, they're going to kick each other, going to bite each other, going to chase each other. But those behaviors happen a lot less in those settings where it's not a human made setting. Um, I would watch or I would read um, horses. What is it called? Horses and Company. Um, That's a really good book. She's got a lot of good information. I forget who the author is, but that has a lot of good information. You can just search that title and read that. It's a very good book. And it really, she watched like multiple different wild or feral horse herds and talks about their behavior and things that she's learned from them. So that's a really good book if you want to kind of learn more about that. But um, along with moving the horse's speed is getting the horse's attention and focus. Um, Again, that's just going to be adding pressure. You can do it using positive reinforcement and that's how I prefer to do it. Um, But that's one of those like misconceptions is I need to get the horse's attention or get their focus or that like focus based like training um, where the horse is like taken usually it's like in a clinic setting and the horse is taken out and um, the horse is very much over threshold like calling looking around 
maybe like trotting around trying like doesn't it's way over threshold not comfortable whatsoever and then the trainer like will wave a plastic bag at the horse and the horse will look at the trainer because a plastic bag just flew out and and kind of scared them and then the horse will stop doing those behaviors and look at the trainer because something startled them and then the horse will probably over after a minute or two go back to searching and trying to go to a more comfortable place because usually there's no other horses there's a lot of people it's kind of a scary environment so they'll go back to that and then the trainer will make the flag come out and then the horse will go back to looking at that and then every time that flag comes out that that is punishing that searching behavior so the horse is looking around and then uh, something scary pops out and then if the horse just looks at the trainer nothing scary pops out so you're reinforced that stopping and looking at you behavior and punished the walking around calling for others behavior but I see that and I see a lot of like oh it's a focus training and we're connected and we're you know kind of on the same energy level it's all these abstract human ideas that we put on the horse and really it's I'm punishing what they're doing right now and not punishing what what they're doing what I want. Not punishing them when they're doing what I want. So it's none of these abstract crazy ideas. It's those four learning quadrants. It's the positive punishment. It's the negative reinforcement. And because again, those can intertwine too. So that's what it is. And that took me a really long time. I was like, what is actually happening here? But when you know those four learning quadrants it makes a lot more sense and you can add and like you can see a behavior and be like oh well that's negative reinforcement oh that's positive punishment and it does take a while because some of that especially the punishments for me were, were really confusing but that's what that is so again using all these abstract terms and that it's just one of the learning quadrants or multiple learning quadrants happening at the same time so it's not i'm bringing the horse down and he's going from a nervous state to relax state the horse can come back from a from that nervous state to a relaxed state, but you're doing it using negative reinforcement and positive punishment, not because you have a connection and, you know, there's this weird energy and you're reading each other's thoughts. That's not what's happening. Unfortunately, there's not this horse whisperer and this weird, like, method or psychic ability that just certain people have. That's just not true. And that's a good thing, really, because we can all do this if we all understand the science behind it. The other thing that I have is that there's different kinds of pressure. Like I heard one trainer say that there's a directing pressure and then there's driving pressure. Like you can direct a horse. Like if probably most commonly if you're riding them and you're like steering them, you're directing them. Um, you can do that, but it's still negative reinforcement, potentially positive punishment. And then on the other hand, um, if you're driving a horse, most of the time I could see that during lunging where you're walking toward them or if you're actually ground driving. So again, still using negative reinforcement. So I, it's just, there's all these terms and it, these confuse me for a really long time. And the, like, we're still using negative reinforcement mostly. But then we add all these terms in, we add in the focus, we add in the getting their attention, we add in the connection and the driving and directing and all these buzzwords, and then we get really confused. And people get really confused. And then they're like, well, how do I do that with my horse? And so then they follow these trainers and then like maybe they'll get those results and maybe they won't. And I was definitely there at one point. I was like, okay, well, I want to do that with my horse. Like what's happening? Like I just don't get it. But then when you know these, the science behind it, you're like, okay, that makes so much more sense. Um, so it was very relieving for me when I was like, oh, okay, 
this makes sense now. It's not all of these abstract ideas and this horse whispering stuff. It's just applying pressure and taking it off or applying a puncher and taking it off, having a reward, rewarding a behavior or not. So that makes things a lot easier. Okay, and then I also have feel. So again, negative reinforcement, particularly done well though. Um, Negative reinforcement done well is kind of what I got out of feel. So again, if I'm asking my horse to go forward, I very lightly touch his sides. He doesn't do anything. I squeeze harder. I start to kick. He goes forward. I release that pressure. He then starts going forward off of that really soft squeeze. What happens is I'm sequencing those cues so that the horse wants to not get to the point where I'm kicking his sides because it's uncomfortable. So that is a negative reinforcement contingency. That's what's at play behind there. So a good example when I was talking about these different contingencies in my separate podcast about each one was specifically from a science book and one that I can relate to is my husband and I share a vehicle and sometimes he will drive it and he'll leave the radio turned up. And then when I get on it, get in it and turn it on, the radio is really loud and I, it does, I don't like it. It's aversive to me. It scares me. I jump. I don't like it. So through that negative reinforcement history of this scary noise happens when I do that, uh, my behavior changes. And instead of getting in the truck and just turning it on, I'll turn down the volume and then I'll turn it on. So my behavior has been changed because I don't want to get to that point where that aversive happens. So the horse doesn't want to get to the point where he's being kicked. So he does that small cue. But what happens is some people don't do those small cues. They just go to the big ones right away. So they go right to the to what could even be punishing if they're just hitting the horse with the whip or they're just getting, kicking the horse. And especially if they're doing if they're doing it after the behavior. So that's when the punishment happens. But they just go all in and they don't sequence the cues. So the feel is definitely something that can happen, but it's again, not this big abstract weird thing that we can't understand. It's just sequencing the cues done right. It's negative reinforcement done correctly. And again, it has to be backed up. So there's going to be a time where maybe the horse has been out of work or it's in a different location. The context has changed where if you squeeze with your legs, he doesn't go forward. And then you have to increase that pressure and actually create that behavior. So there are going to be times where you have to continue and make that horse uncomfortable in order to reinforce that behavior. So, um, but it, it kind of, the feel gets into this weird abstract thing. Um, it's good because it's good negative reinforcement, but it's not this weird mystery. It's just sequencing your cues correctly. So um, another thing is presenting the horse an idea or making the horse whatever it is that you want the horse to do, his idea. Again, just negative reinforcement. It's just releasing the pressure when he does what you want. Um, Make the wrong thing hard and the right thing easy. Same thing. So you're putting pressure, you're punishing whatever behavior the horse is doing that you don't want, and you're releasing the pressure when he's doing what you do want. Um, Bringing up the life or the energy that's just you putting pressure on the horse or using your body as a pre-cue. So with the negative reinforcement, um, a lot of the times people will be taught like sit up in the saddle and then squeeze your legs. So that's just going to be that sequencing of cues is just another pre-cue. And it's a good pre-cue, but it's not this mythical like we're bringing up my energy to bring up his energy. It's just negative reinforcement. Um, let's see. Another one would be offering horse a good deal. Same thing. You're you're putting pressure on something you don't want and reinforce re- releasing on something you do want. So you're reinforcing that behavior by releasing it. 
releasing the pressure. So, um, and then just pretty much all aids or cues are going to be taught with negative reinforcement, potentially positive punishment. So it's just going to be another word for it. Um, round penning and join up, all that stuff, same thing. It's not this mythical, I'm communicating with the horse, I'm becoming the horse. That's just not true. Horses know what horses are and what horses aren't. You don't look like a horse, not even close. They know you're not a horse. So um, that's just all nonsense. Um, you're putting pressure on the horse, but this time with your body language. So if you're walking assertively toward the horse and then you're swinging a rope at the horse, you know, the same thing, like I'm sequencing that. So if I step toward the horse and then the next thing I do is swing the rope and then I hit the horse with the rope, it's the same thing with the last example where I'm asking my horse to go forward. The horse will eventually go off of my body language when I'm walking assertively toward them. So that's where you get the same thing. So um, and then the last thing I have to do here or talk about here is an assertive body language or um, like some people will be like, well, this person just has a way with horses and they do what they this person wants. Most of the time when that happens, especially in the natural horsemanship world, that person follows through with the behavior. So let's say I want my horse to lead forward and he's like, he doesn't want to go in the arena. So I'm walking him to the arena. He just stops. He doesn't want to go in the arena. So a person with an assertive, let's say assertive body language, someone who knows what they want and, and can effectively use negative reinforcement to get that behavior from the horse will pull on the lead rope. And if the horse doesn't want to pull on the lead rope, they might pull the horse from side to side because that'll pop them off balance. They might come forward. And then when the horse comes forward, they'll release that pressure. Or they might use the end of the lead rope to tap the horse on the side. They might use a whip to tap the horse on the side until the horse goes forward. So again, all that person is doing is sequencing their cues. So if they're usually a pretty confident trainer, they'll have the horse, they'll grab the lead rope, they'll apply pressure. If that doesn't work, then let's say they'll, they'll tap the horse on the side until he walks forward. Then when he walks forward, that tapping and the pull of the lead rope will stop. And then the horse will go forward. Over time, that horse has gone through that sequence enough. He knows that if he stops, something uncomfortable will happen to him. And so he just goes forward. If the horse is put with another person who doesn't have those same like assertive body language or knows what they're doing, they're more meek and they're more like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like that person will usually the horse will definitely can tell horses are masters at reading body language. So if you're not going to make the horse do something, they know that. And if you don't follow through in those stages, if you don't sequence those cues, then the horse will definitely not work for that person. So again, if I gave this horse to a person who didn't, wasn't very confident or didn't know how to use that negative reinforcement, that sequence of cues to get the behavior that they want, they could be very easily give up. So then they're not following through. So let's say this person who's not as confident or doesn't know what to do as much is leading the horse. The horse stops, doesn't want to go forward. This person pulls on the lead rope a little bit and they're like, oh, well, he's not going forward. So then they stop pulling. So now the horse has been negatively reinforced and now the horse will be like, well, I don't have to go forward because if I just stand here long enough, the pressure will, will come off. And it's the same thing with other types of pressure. So maybe let's say that person pulls on the horse's head. He doesn't go. He kind of taps on his side. The horse doesn't go. And then they stop. So that horse, again, has been reinforced using negative reinforcement that if he waits there long enough, then he can outweigh that person. And then that person will stop putting the pressure on him. So that's, again, that person is using negative reinforcement, but we're just using it in the wrong way. 
So we're training the horse, but we don't realize it necessarily. But that can often be seen as someone who is using that assertive body language. It's just usually someone who knows how to follow through and has some experience with it. Um, really, the key for that and is going to be teaching that person to just continue using whatever you want to use until the horse goes forward. So let's say if we're going to continue using negative reinforcement, let's say the horse um, stops, he applies pressure on the lead rope, he still doesn't want to go. So maybe that person has um, the end of their rope and they kind of just swing it toward that horse's hindquarters, the horse moves forward. Then at that second, the horse moves forward, the swinging stops and the pressure stops. And if that person continues with that sequence very consistently, the horse will eventually lead forward off of that light pressure because they know that this person follows through and he doesn't release when I stand here. So I have to go forward. That The behavior of going forward has been negatively reinforced versus the person who releases the behavior of standing still is negatively reinforced instead. So hopefully that made sense. There's a lot of different details and a lot of little things and that go on behind the scenes, but hopefully that made sense on some very common misconceptions. On my next episode, I'm going to go over misconceptions on positive reinforcement. So that one's probably going to be a little bit long too, because again, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. So hopefully that made sense and you learned a little something.